Hey, back in the studio after what seems like an eternity, uh, back in Oklahoma for about five more weeks. So that means more podcasts coming your way. Uh, gotta fi- I got to figure out a way. Uh, to make this happen more often when I when uh, when the job calls for me uh, to travel, but here we are in the right here, the right now. Um, Oklahoma f- recruiting, the Sooners are on the cusp of doing something that is unprecedented, not just in the modern era, but I'm talking about unprecedented ever uh, in fo- in football recruiting. We're going to get into that big big weekend for the Big Twelve, um, big big weekend for the Big Twelve in um in college softball i uh, got some three areas that we need to booster our confidence in uh in terms of of the spring game uh three positions that we need to look at say so i need to come out of this game more confident in those three positions and then i'm gonna give you five things that i'm looking at specifically for on saturday and there's some there's some portal action happening on the basketball court with porter Mosier. we're gonna jump into all of that here on the Sooner Nation podcast. Thanks for hanging with us. All right, I know there's a lot going on with football, but we're going to start by talking about softball because this is a huge weekend uh, for the Big 12 in terms of the regular season uh, championship race. Oklahoma State goes to Austin, Texas. Oklahoma goes to Waco, Texas for two big series. Now, Oklahoma State and Texas, one of them is probably going to eliminate the other uh, from the Big 12 championship race, I don't believe. I really don't believe that that's going to be uh, that that's going to be a, a series that ends in a sweep for either school. But clearly, one of those schools is going to lose two games. If that's Texas, that would put them at eight and six. If they lost two, eight and six in Big 12 play, uh, eight and seven if they get swept. Oklahoma State uh, uh, conversely would be eight and three in Big 12 play if they lost two. Um, and then eight and four if they got swept, which puts Oklahoma in a really, really good spot with three series left. They got the they got B- Baylor, they got Kansas, they got uh, Bedlam. I want to go back. Let's talk about Oklahoma State and Texas for for just a second because Oklahoma State's loss to Wichita State on Tuesday night uh, in Stillwater kind of puts a little more spotlight on this Texas series. Um, because I said, and you know this if you listen regularly, I know we don't post like we used to, but we're, we're working on it. But um, if you listen regularly, I said in the last podcast, I thought that the Big 12 race was going to come down between Oklahoma State and Oklahoma with Bedlam being that deciding factor for the regular season title. I, I don't, there's Oklahoma State, they're sliding just a little bit. Um, I, I don't know if teams have figured them out. I don't know if they're tired. I don't know if they're just in a funk, but uh, the offense seems seems to maybe have disappeared just a little bit, uh, which isn't, isn't particularly good news going down to, to Texas. Uh, on the other hand, with Texas, you've got a lot of pressure if you're Mike White. Te- and I've said this again. I, this isn't new information. Texas brought in Mike White to compete directly with Oklahoma for the championship of the Big 12. Instead, what has happened since Mike White arrived in Texas, Oklahoma State has risen up to really become what Texas had hoped they would become with Mike White. And and instead of competing with Oklahoma for the for the conference title, really what Texas is doing is competing with Oklahoma State for the runner-up. Now I know, I know it, Oklahoma State fans are gonna are gonna claim the title last year. That that's fine. I, I get it, okay. But the reality is it hasn't gone according to plan for Texas. And getting to the Women's College World Series Championship Series last year bought Mike White some extra time. But right now, Texas is sitting at 36-9-1 on the season, 8-4 in Big 12 play. They're third in the Big 12 conference between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. That pressure is ramping back up for Mike White. And so I think, with all due respect to Oklahoma going to Waco and looking for revenge, I think this is the series you'll want to watch in the Big 12 this weekend, um, I, I'm all I'm going to be all about Oklahoma, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But this Thursday, beginning Thursday night, the 20th of April, with the day we're recording this podcast, 
that's definitely going to be something that that we're tuning into. Uh, but Oklahoma State goes – they go to Austin on a two-game winning uh, – excuse me, two-game losing streak. Um, so – I mean, look, that, that's going to be big. I mean, honestly, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a determining factor. But the reality is what happens with Oklahoma in Waco. Now, the last time Oklahoma lost, excuse me, the only time Oklahoma lost this season was February 19th at Baylor in a game that didn't count for conference play. Oklahoma loses three to four to to the Bears. Now, most recently, the Sooners were in Ohio and they only got to play two games because of weather. But they blasted Louisville ten to one. They blasted Miami thirteen to one. But Baylor is going to have something that those two teams didn't have, and that's a deeper bullpen. I would expect the Bears to go back and and do what other teams have done to slow down Oklahoma. Now, note they haven't beaten Oklahoma. The Sooners come into Waco on a 31-game winning streak, the longest winning streak in the nation. They're 39-1 overall in the season, 9-0 in Big 12 play. But what teams have been able to do is they've been able to limit the damage that Oklahoma's bats have had. Now, that said, the Sooners only played three runs, three runs the last time they were in Waco, Look for that 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 tactic to continue to take place this weekend as the Bears four and five are trying to um, to to try to get avoid going deeper in the hole. You know, at four and five, you're below 500. You're at 444 on the season. They get swept by the Sooners, which is what's anticipated to happen. You're sitting at four and eight, and suddenly at 34 and 14 on the season, excuse me, 34 and 13 on the season, you don't look quite as appealing to that NCAA selection committee as you did going into the weekend. But then again, uh, you are playing the top team in the nation. And Oklahoma, the, the thing is with Oklahoma, it's not just that they're they're head and shoulders, the top team in the country right now, uh, hat tip to Florida State. We see you, but we also have head-to-head. I mean, they're, they are dominating the Big 12, all right? We talked about the records here. Uh, the four teams that I believe are in contention for the NCAA tournament, Oklahoma 9-0, and Oklahoma State 8-1, and Texas 8-4, and Baylor 4-5. and Those are your Big 12 standings. But then when you start to look individually at statistics, as a team, the Sooners are batting 380, uh, Oklahoma State 340, Texas is 338, pitching Oklahoma 0.90 ERA, Oklahoma State 1.85 ERA, Texas uh, 2.07, and Baylor 2.21. So you 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 see there there is a break, a, a clear break there. Um, between these four schools and the rest of the pack, and Baylor's just kind of on the fringe right now. Um, uh, there's there's something a great a great tweet that was out there. Let me see if I can find it real fast. Comparing the stats between here it is uh, OU softball HR tracker home run tracker um, something that you might you might want to follow. When you you do a statistical breakdown between Oklahoma and Baylor uh, batting average, the Sooners are at 380. Uh, Baylor 3.05. ERA. Here's here's where you separate. OU 0.90. Baylor 2.21. And then you look at um, individual uh, hitting on doubles. Oklahoma has 81 doubles. Baylor 66. Oklahoma 76 home runs. Baylor 24. On base percentage for the Sooners. 466, Baylor 397, uh, average runs per game, Oklahoma 8.55, Baylor 5.64. And look at this, shutouts on the season, Oklahoma with 23 shutouts on the season, Baylor with 11. And that is reflected in something that I said was going to come, something I said was going to happen with the Sooners getting the hat trick, the trifecta, whatever you want to say in terms of ERA in the Big 12. Oklahoma has the top three pitchers statistically in the Big 12 as of right now. They, they were they were just a little bit off, but I said Jordy Ball, after that win at LSU, Jordy Ball was kind of on the move. She was rising, and she has passed Oklahoma State's Kelly Maxwell, who's dropped a fourth. Nicole May leads all pitchers in the Big 12 with a 0.51 ERA. Alex Duraco, 0.8 ERA. And then Jordy Ball, she's improved all the way up to 1.27 ERA. Strikeouts, Jordy Ball with 107, Nicole May with 103, uh, and Alex Duraco with 85. Those are just uh, those are just between those three ladies. Now, when you talk about uh, 
strikeouts in the Big 12. Kelly Maxwell, she does have a little bit higher ERA than Jordy Ball, but she's sitting at 162 strikeouts. So that, that's good news for Oklahoma State, again, as they get ready for this big matchup with Baylor. When you look at the top 25, Again, you got three schools from from the Big 12, and they're the they're the usual suspects. Oklahoma number one, uh, Oklahoma State. They drop down to number four. They they probably are going to drop again based on how that Texas series goes. And then Texas number nine. One of those two schools is going to take a plunge down um, just a little bit. But th- this weekend, make make no mistake about it. This weekend will determine um, the shape of the the home stretch. For the Big 12. For Oklahoma State, it's huge because they still have Bedlam. For Texas, it's huge because they already got swept by the Sooners. They're fighting for their survival. Mike White's probably fighting to keep those fires put out. Um, and so what, it, it, it's it's crazy, honestly, because if one of these tools, one of these tools, <laughs> that, that speaking of Mike White, no, just kidding, that, that was bad. Um, if one of these schools, if they do, if they, if they get swept, if they get swept, they're probably out of the race because I don't know that Oklahoma is going to come into um, they're going to come into that final Bedlam series, uh, the final series of the season. I don't think they're going to come into that with with more than one loss. So, again, Texas is already up against the gun uh, because they've, they've been swept by the Sooners there at four losses. Oklahoma State, even if they drop one uh, to, uh, to Texas, it's probably going to put them uh, really with their backs against the wall in terms of regular season championship. All right, thanks for putting up with Softball Talk. Let's jump into some football stuff, starting with recruiting. Now, we teased this at the top of the podcast. Oklahoma football is is on the cusp of doing something that is absolutely 100% unprecedented, um, I think, ever at the University of Oklahoma in terms of football recruiting. Um, let me jump in here and kind of give you a quick update. There's three hard commitments for the 2024 class, a class that currently ranks um, only ranks 56 nationally, but it's a, still a class that's developing and a class that will soon, uh, maybe even this weekend uh, with the spring game start uh, picking up on some momentum. Now you had the cornerback, four-star cornerback out of Queen Creek, Arizona, Jeremiah Newcomb. Uh, he was the first commitment. He committed to this class on March 25th. Uh, of course, then there was Michael Hawkins, the quarterback, four-star quarterback out of McKinney, Texas. Um, he's a guy that I, I listen. I, I really thought when when um, when Kendall Bryles moved from Arkansas to TCU, I thought this was a done deal for Michael Hawkins to come to the University of Oklahoma. I, I guess what I really overlooked was how much the relationship that Kendall Browse had developed with Hawkins over that recruitment to get him to Arkansas because it was down between Arkansas and Oklahoma. You remove Kendall Browse from Arkansas, should have been a no-brainer, but the reality was the relationship with Bryles was so strong that it drew Hawkins' interest away from Arkansas down to Fort Worth, Texas, um, and Jeff Levy had to keep fighting Kendall Bryles for this commitment, ultimately getting it with uh, with Hawkins committing just a couple weeks ago on April 8th. And then you got K.J. Daniels um, out of Franklin, Louisiana. Here's the thing with K.J. Daniels, a speedster, not not a big frame guy, not a, not a big body guy. He's 5'8", 5'9", about 150, but he's a, he's a guy that's going to go for speed. Um, and currently has no ranking. All right. So that's, that's where, that's where you're kind of, you're looking at Oklahoma's class and you're going, wait a minute they're They've got a four-star quarterback. They've got a four-star cornerback and they're only 56. Well, it's because they've got a commitment from a receiver who has zero ranking. All right. So for example, um, Newcomb, the cornerback out of Arizona, he's the number five player in the state of Arizona, the number 20 prospect at cornerback nationally, Michael Hawkins, the number 19 prospect at quarterback nationally. Then you get down to KJ Daniels and there's no ranking anywhere across the board. It won't be that way. It won't stay that way. KJ Daniels is most likely heading towards a three-star ranking, but that's where your 2024 class is setting up. Um, but then there's something a little more, um, a little more potent brewing, if you will, uh, through the transfer portal. And that's with, that's with Brennan Thompson. Brennan Thompson was a four-star recruit 
a member of the 2022 Texas recruiting class, has jumped into the transfer portal and appears, by all accounts, appears to be coming out in Norman, Oklahoma. Now that's this isn't a done deal because it, it just it can't be just yet because we're we're just a few days away from the portal officially opening. However, if you listen to and believe the talking heads, the guys who cover recruiting, who live, breathe, eat, drink, sleep it, it doesn't seem like he's going to be in the portal very long. He he went in on on April fifteenth, um, and we're talking about a guy. Keep in mind. At Texas, 2022, he played in nine games. He caught one pass for 32 yards. Um, so he's not a guy. He's not a guy that that's going to bring a lot of experience in terms of receptions and yardage and touchdowns. But he's a guy that if he comes to the University of Oklahoma, he's going to bring speed. I mean, tracks track type speed. The dude is fast. Um, you see, uh, Texas. He won. He won the Texas 3A 200 meter title with a 21.27 um, time as a junior, um, and he also earned silver in the 100, running a 10.4. He ran a 10.38 uh, earlier in his junior season. Um, I mean, the, the dude. The dude can blaze, um, and uh, his recruitment. Out of high school, it really came down to Texas and Clemson with Texas having a heavy advantage because he's from Spearman, Texas. But, I mean, we're talking about a kid that was a four-star recruit, 36 scholarship offers. And and here's what's unprecedented, right? Here's what's here's what is just absolutely crazy about this is if this happens, if this comes to fruition, then Oklahoma will have added a transfer portal player from Oklahoma State in a transfer portal player from the University of Texas in the same season, the same offseason. I mean, Oklahoma could take the field next year in Bedlam and have a player on their defensive line that played for the Cowboys last year. Oklahoma could take the field against Texas in the Cotton Bowl in October and have a player who last year was on the other sideline. That is just nuts. It's unprecedented. And when you when you talk about the impact that Brent Venables is having in culture changes, take it for what it is. But never before, never before has has a player crossed boundaries from Oklahoma's two biggest rivals to be a part of the football team the following season. Now, the thing is, Thompson's going to have multiple years of eligibility. I mean, he was a sophomore. So, I, I look, I just, I, I, you're, you're going to get multiple years out of both guys. I, I get that. I just, I just think that when, when you look at the new era of, of, of football recruiting, what you're doing is you're, you're not just recruiting the high schools, you're recruiting other universities. And, and, and I think Oklahoma fans, I think Oklahoma fans have to be a little bit careful here with how we approach, um, how we approach our attitudes. And here's, here's what I'm saying, because we look at Bear Alexander the defensive lineman transferred out of Georgia. All accounts, this guy's head to USC, right? And he he was the guy who just, boom, jumps in the portal. And it looks like he's taking one visit. He's in USC. He's in Los Angeles this coming weekend. And then you expect a commitment to USC following that. And it's easy for us as Oklahoma fans to say, oh, Lincoln Riley, he's tampering. And, and maybe he is, maybe he isn't. I don't know, okay? But, but follow me. Follow me on this because isn't this this exact same thing that's happening with Brennan Thompson? They're not even through spring ball. Suddenly he's in the portal and it, all accounts are he's coming to the University of Oklahoma. I mean, look, is, is that not, not a star? Star power may be there and may not be there. You know, the, the kid from Georgia played in the national championship game. 
look to be on par for getting, uh, you know, going to be an all an all American um, on that defensive line for Georgia this coming fall. So so yeah, it's I mean look, it's it, I I think we're not comparing apples to oranges here. And I, I'm not a guy who's going to go out and defend Lincoln Riley. And I'm, I'm, I'm not a guy who's going to go out and, and hope for success for Southern California. But I am a guy who's going to say, let's, let's be careful how we criticize what's going on at USC with overlooking at what's going on in Norman. I, I, because, look, with neither, look when, you, when, you, when you think about a player transferring from Oklahoma State to Oklahoma, I think you can make multiple um, you can make multiple arguments in favor of that. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you can say, look, uh, bigger program, more established program, blue blood program, recognition, notoriety. It's all there on a bigger stage at the University of Oklahoma than what it would be at the, at Oklahoma State. And, and if for our Oklahoma State friends. If that makes you mad, so be it. But the reality is playing football in Norman puts you on a different stage than playing football in Stillwater. So you, you've got that, okay? So um, you, you, you can say there's, there's, there's a, stepping, a stepping up, I guess, if you will, from Oklahoma State to the University of Oklahoma. Then there's NIL. So if you're coming from Oklahoma State to Oklahoma, NIL is a different thing, right? You, there's there's more access to funds, more access to notoriety. All that stuff leads to more money. That's not the case coming from the University of Texas to the University of Oklahoma. That's not the case going from the University of Georgia to USC. Georgia has NIL money. Georgia is the reigning national champion, two-time reigning national champion that's going for a three-peat this year. And when you look at moving from, from Athens, Georgia to Los Angeles, California, you're talking dollars. Dollars are the, the driving force here. But it's not like Georgia doesn't have money. So then what else is it? And, and it's the same thing. I mean, this is a lateral move program-wise, not, not what the product on the field is going to be because Oklahoma has been way ahead of Texas product on the field. This is where Texas fans say, oh, okay, here we go, 49 to nothing. I get that. But if you're not intelligent enough to see the circumstances to that 49 to nothing, I can't help you. I can't help you. Because if you believe that game was going to be 49 to nothing with Dylan Gabriel under center, then there's really no hope for you. But the reality is, when you look at Big 12 championships, you look at college playoff um, appearances, you look at Heisman trophies, you look at national awards, Oklahoma is more than a step above the University of Texas program-wise. But when you look at facilities and when you look at dollars, it's a lateral move. So what would cause Brendan Thompson to come from Austin to Oklahoma? I don't know. Same thing that might cause the kid to go from Athens, Georgia to Los Angeles. Somewhere someone got a hold of them and said, hey, we might have a spot for you. You know, it's, it's not like Brennan Thompson uh, isn't aware of this coaching staff at the University of Oklahoma. Emmett Jones tried to recruit Thompson to come play for him at Texas Tech. So there's already a connection there. And all it, all it takes is just for somebody somewhere along the way to get a message for a kid. Hey, we got this spot. This is a need that we have. And this is what we can put in your pocket through NIL. Boom, kids in the portal. And then you can work out all the details and then get the commitment. That's the world we live in. Right or wrong, that's what's happening. And Oklahoma is going to benefit from it. And then Oklahoma's probably going to get burned by it somewhere along the way. But it was no secret, going back to the beginning of the spring, it was no secret that Oklahoma needed to add to the receiving core. I mean, this isn't, this isn't anything that caught anybody off guard. But yet here it is on the cusp of happening, and, and, and it is a, again, unprecedented type situation where you've got two players from Oklahoma's two biggest rivals, the biggest rival, University of Texas. Second biggest rival is Oklahoma State. 
at least for one more year, jumping rivalry lines to come play football at the University of Oklahoma. That is the sway that this coaching staff that Brent Venables has put together, that's the kind of sway that they have. And and there's there's no way, there's no way, no way Lincoln Riley could ever pull something off like that. Not a chance. So yeah, six and seven on the season in 2022, that's got to get better. But Brent Venables continues to do everything the right way. I mean, he's saying the right things, he's doing the right things, and you got to get the roster turnover. And and you're still seeing that, you know, the, the transfer portal. We saw Jaden Davis, all right? Jaden Davis in the, in the transfer portal. That's, again, shouldn't be a surprise. When you hear what's coming out of camp about some of the new faces on the roster, Jaden Davis had already kind of lost his job in 2022. And you got guys in there that are freshmen. You got guys in there that are from the transfer portal. You got guys in there that are coming up in the system. Jaden Davis is probably going to move on to a lower tier program. Probably, uh, you know, not not the power five, right? He's going to go down to that group, that, that group of five or whatever it's called. We used to call it division one, division two when times were simple. But the point is, Jaden Davis is probably not going to be playing on a power five program, starting on a power five program in the fall of 2023. Not a knock against the person Jaden Davis was. But he's a kid who, I, I was high on him as a freshman, high on him as a freshman. But he just didn't seem to develop beyond that. I don't wish him any ill will. I don't. I don't want to talk bad about him, but it just—if you know, you know, right? The the truth is, it's it's just one of those situations. All right, let's talk spring ball. All right, I swear, I swear, I swear, we are going to talk about the spring game, right? We'll close out the podcast uh, uh, with that. I've, I've got three things, uh, points of concern uh, going into the spring game, but. Um, We've we've talked transfer portal for football, but we needed we have to talk transfer portal for basketball as well. Uh, Porter Mosier landing finally two two different guys, um, one of them a big man, one of them a guard, both of them I'm I'm going to say mildly unproven, uh, particularly in, in this level. Uh, uh, Javian McCollum, the the guard, he he's uh, going to be a junior. Uh, comes in after his sophomore season. He's a kid that inside-outside guy. I mean, he's 43% from the floor, um, 35% for three-point range, average 15.9 points per game this season, almost four assists uh, with 3.9 assists, um, 2.1 rebounds. So he's a guy that's going to help you run your point. Um, and then you get a big man, and this is what they needed. They needed a big man. They got John Hughley, the fourth, coming in out of Pittsburgh. And and, and again, a, a guy that has potential, but just, I mean, he played 32 games in 2021-2022. Averaged 14.8 points per game. Shot 47% from the floor. Played almost 30 minutes a game. Well, Matt, that was 2021-2022. Yeah, because 2022-2023, he was hampered by injury and so forth. Only played in eight games. Um, average eight points per game in the eight that he played in, 3.6 rebounds, shot 47.8% from the floor. But he's a guy, 6'9", 265, out of Cleveland, Ohio, comes to Oklahoma via Pittsburgh. He needs to be what Oklahoma had hoped Tanner Groves was going to be. And and look, I get it. Tanner Groves, Porter Mosier put the, his eggs in the Groves brothers' basket. And Tanner Groves had those moments of brilliance, right? Like, for example, that Alabama game this last season where Tanner Groves just seemed unstoppable. That was the Tanner Groves that turned everybody on. Now, that, that was the performance that we saw when he was at Eastern Washington playing against Kansas in the NCAA tournament. That was the thing that had everyone salivating over this guy. But then he came to Norman and just was so Jekyll and Hyde. And unfortunately, the games like what we saw against Alabama were were few and far between. And then there were other games where he couldn't rebound, he couldn't score, he couldn't dribble the basketball. And and Porter Mosier was trying to build around the big guy. Well, now you need you need Hughley to be the big guy. 
I mean, 6'9", 265. The dude, there's video out there. The dude's got some athleticism. He can dunk it. He can drive it. He can shoot from three-point range. He 50% this last season. Now, not a lot of attempts, but 50% from three-point range. So he, he is what you need him to be. And at least he came from a Power 5-type conference at Pittsburgh playing in the ACC as opposed to coming from Eastern Washington. But I, this isn't an original thought to me. It's, I mean, th- this is, but th- when we break down Porter Mosier and we break down what's happening with this basketball program, I, I, I'm on the outside here because I know, I know ultimately it's results, okay? You get bounced out of the NIT your first year. You don't even qualify for the postseason, any of the postseason tournaments your second year. And that should set you up for a a third year that's kind of going to tell the story, right? I mean, is there pressure on Porter Mosier going into year three? Yes. But is it pressure that gets him fired? Well, I think if they don't make the postseason, that's a possibility. If, if 2023, 2024 is like this last season, 22-23 was, where you don't qualify for any postseason, I think there's going to be trouble. But I think if you get into the NCAA tournament, even if you lose in the first round, you show you're moving finally in the right direction. The problem has been with Porter Mosier, it's not it's not what happens X's and O's. You go back to that Arkansas game his first season, you look at Alabama last year, and you see that this guy can coach. I mean, he, he did very well against the SEC's programs that they played this last season. 10-3 and three non-conference. Um, was it three wins against SEC opponents? You, you don't do that without being able to coach. The problem is the Big 12 is one of the best conferences in, in the country. And, and here's, the, here's the thought. Again, not original to me. I, I, I got this from somewhere. I, and I wish I could remember who it was to give you adequate credit but I, but I but here it is I mean I, at least I'm admitting this isn't original to me now it's announced that Jalen Hill is going to go to UNLV that's that's pretty much where everyone expected him to go same thing with Elijah Harkless follow that Kruger name right you go where you're familiar with people so Jalen Hill is going to Las Vegas CJ Nolan going to St. Louis the Schroeder kid going to George Washington Joe Bemisil going to VCU. Bijan Cortez going to Wichita State. The guy that's out there still that we haven't seen where he lands is Jacob Groves. But these are all mid-major programs. St. Louis, George Washington, VCU, Wichita State, UNLV. These are even, I mean, UNLV has, has a history of basketball greatness. But a, a lot of the people listening to this podcast weren't even born when that was taking place. It's kind of like talking about the, the greatness of Nebraska football. Once, once a storied program, but you got to go 20 years ago to find it. You got to go longer than that to find the greatness of U, UNLV basketball. But the point is this. You're playing in the best basketball conference in America with some of the best coaches in America. Everything is broken down. Everybody knows everybody. All of your st- strengths, all of your weaknesses, they are on full board on display. And Mosher's trying to compete in this conference with guys that are mid-major program type guys. Again, not a knock because C.J. Nolan had a lot of, I mean, a lot of hype coming in. But C.J. Nolan's playing for St. Louis. He went in the transfer portal and St. Louis said, yeah, we'll take you. Bijan Cortez from the state of Oklahoma. A lot of people wanted him to succeed. Bijan Cortez goes into the transfer portal. Wichita State, yeah, we'll take you. There's a reason Jacob Groves is still in the transfer portal. It's not because he has so many options on the table that he's got to weigh him out. I mean, and again, not a knock. I mean, it's not a personal insult against any of these guys. It's just this is where the program was. Lon Kruger announces he's retiring. 
you got Brady Manning transferring out. I mean, all, all these guys left. And then you, your first year, you got Mo Gibson, Elijah Harkless. You think you can build with them. And then after year one, Mo Gibson's gone. Elijah Harkless is gone. And you're resetting. And now you're going into year three. And C.J. Nolan, Beanie Schroeder, Joe Bamisil, Bijan Cortez, Jacob Groves, Jalen Hill. Six guys. Six guys you lost from your roster that you've got to replace. And you got to step up. you got to step up. And, and that's why I think if you're going to get excited about one, and there's more, there's more guys coming. There, there's more guys coming. But I think if you're going to be excited about one of the two guys that's in now, it's got to be the Hughley kid because Oklahoma needs a big. And they, they need a big who's not going to back down, who's not going to let people get in his head, a, a guy who can play and be physical. And if you look at the film on Hughley, it, it looks like that's who it is. Again, 6'9", 265, played in the ACC. I mean, I think the guy knows a thing or two about high-level basketball. So that's just got to transfer over. And as for Porter Mosier, it's got to transfer over pretty fast. I, I am not on the fire Porter Mosier bandwagon. I, I know people close to me who are. They're just done with it. I'm not there. I don't think we should be there. Because it, it's, I mean, it, it's a new era. And, and the guy is proven he can coach, whether it's at Oklahoma or whether it's at, you know, Loyola, Chicago, where he came from. I mean, he's had success. But he comes to Oklahoma as the onset of this transfer portal thing. And it's just, it's not been in his favor yet. And you can blame that on him. I'm, I'm all with blaming that on him. But he's got to sell it and he's got to build it. Year three is going to be important. I don't think it has to be the last year unless it's just an absolute stink bomb like year two was. All right, I swear, on the other side of this break, it's all football talk. So let's finish strong, okay? So before spring football started, I, I gave you three positions that I felt like Oklahoma fans should be confident in moving into the 2023 season. Those three positions are linebacker, running back, and quarterback. Now, you can go back and listen to that podcast if you want more details on those three positions. But linebacker, running back, quarterback. I feel like Oklahoma is solid there. And that if you're ranking the positions that you're most confident in, those three would be at the top of your rankings. But what about the positions that we're not so confident in? That's where we kind of want to look next. Um, and I'm going to give you three. I'm going to give you three positions that really I feel like Saturday needs to bring us a good showing for. And uh, and then we can we can move on and, and say, yeah, I'm way more confident than I was going into spring ball. Or, man, these guys need to have a really good summer and maybe, just maybe, we need to hit the portal a little bit more. Uh, but let's start with defensive line particularly with the pass rush. Oklahoma was 64th nationally in quarterback sacks last season. 20 quarterback sacks came from the defensive line, but there's no there's no doubt about it. This this is a unit that has to get to the quarterback. And and we've talked about this I mean going back to the to the beginning of this Sooner Nation podcast, there was three of us, there was two of us, and now there's just me. On all three levels of this podcast, we have always said, if you can't get to the quarterback, then, you're, then you're, your defensive secondary is going to look way worse than it is. And, and conversely, we've said, if you can't cover in the secondary, then your defensive line is going to look way worse than it is. These two things go hand in hand. And, and the truth is, I, I'm, I'm most confident in Oklahoma's linebackers. And then I think you would go defensive line and then defensive backs in terms of where my levels, where my degrees of confidence are. But they, they've got to get better at the pass rush. I, I, think, I think the answer may be our Mason Thomas. I think this may be the guy who really kind of gets after the quarterback. He, he takes a huge step. Uh, in this offseason going into next fall. I mean, he showed flashes in 2022. 
So I think he's the guy that we want to keep an eye on. I'm, I'm going to give you some guys to keep an eye on on Saturday, but I'm, I'm jumping out there ahead of time uh, with these three positions, and R. Mason Thomas is, is one of those guys. But I, I think when you're looking at areas that I need to grow confident in, areas where I need to see something, I need to see a pass rush. I need to see a pass rush that is effective and gets to the quarterback. Whether they come from the edge, whether they come from the middle, whether it's blitzing, it's got to happen. The 64th nationally in quarterback sacks, not going to get the job done in Power 5. You're not going to win the Big 12. You're not going to make the playoff ranked 64th nationally in quarterback sacks. That's just the way it is. You can have All-Americans at your linebacker core. You have All-Americans in your defensive secondary. But if you can't get to the quarterback, it doesn't matter what's in your second and third levels of the defense. So first of all, we're going to say defensive line. The second area that I need to grow in my confidence is, is at the wide receiver. Now, we, we talked about this already just a little bit through the transfer portal uh, earlier in the podcast. But, you know, Marvin Mins is gone. I mean, that's that, there's the no-brainer. Marvin's hoping to hear his name called here in about a week or so in the NFL draft. He's out of here. And you've got the familiar faces, Drake Stoops, Jalil Farouk, Austin Stogner's back. Gavin Freeman showed a lot of potential. It's got to get deeper and tell me where is that deep threat? Where's that burner? Where, where's that guy who can run the seam? Maybe it's Austin Stogner, but Austin Stogner, I mean, he's he's a mismatch at 6'9". I think he's going to be a red zone threat. But is Austin Stogner really the guy that's going to break free on a 60-yard touchdown pass reception? I don't think so. So you got to, guys, I'm, I'm looking at like Jaden Gibson. Does Jaden Gibson... Again, showed some flash, had a little bit of the, the stone hands problem last year, but he was a young guy. He's, he's deeper into the program. His body's a little more physical now. Um, maybe a better understanding, maybe more focused on the ball. But what about Jaden Gibson? I, I think Nick Anderson is a guy that shows potential, has good pedigree. And then you got the transfer uh, and, and Gerald Anthony. I don't, I'm one of those three guys, if not all three of those guys needs to make a play on Saturday because I'm just not confident going in with Drake Stoops, Jalen Farouk, Austin Stogner, Gavin Freeman. That is not a receiving core that makes me think that defensive backs are really going to have their work cut out for them. I, I do think there's mismatches that can come from those four, but oftentimes we see this offense run five deep, five wide. So you got to have a fifth. So is it going to be Brennan Thompson when he comes in the transfer portal and you have him through the summer and through and through fall camp? Or is Jaden Gibson? Great body size. I mean, J- Jaden Gibson is, is a guy that, that could very well be everything you're looking for. He's got the size. He's got the speeds. But does he have the hands? That's, I mean, and then you got J.J. Hester, another transfer guy. There, there, there's LV Buckley shop. There's guys out there, but man, Jaden Gibson, six, five, one eighty nine. Nick Anderson, six, four. What is he? One eighty. What is he? Six, four, two Oh nine. Yeah. I'm looking at the roster. I don't have that memorized. Those are your two tallest receivers. JJ Hester, six, four, two Oh two. There is potential there. We need to see it. And, Maybe again, maybe the answer comes to the transfer portal, but I need to see something on Saturday that will boost my confidence in the receiving core. I will say it's going to be good to see Austin Stogner back in the crimson and cream. So defensive line, I need confidence in them. Wide receiver, I need to build confidence there. Offensive line, um, again, going to the NFL draft, Anton Harrison, in my opinion, is Oklahoma's best option to have a first round draft pick. I don't, I'm not confident. I'm not confident that it's going to happen. Now keep in mind, there's one less first round draft pick this year than in typical years because the Miami Dolphins don't have a first round pick. So that's one less opportunity for someone to get drafted in the first round. But I still think if, if, if there was a guy who's going to get drafted in the first round from this program, it's going to be Anton Harrison. I, I think when you look at the offensive line, what I want to see is I want to see five guys dominate. I, I not not 
Not one guy with this unit, not two guys with that unit, not a guy here with this unit. I want to see five guys across the board be dominant. That's what I want to see. I, I think Andrew Rame pretty much locked in for center. McCade McTwire has moved over to the right side, right guard. I think those are the only two guys, in my opinion, and from what I read even, those are the only two guys who I think have positions locked down on the offensive line. Now, if you put a gun to my head and say, okay, tell me who the other three are, I'm probably going to give you Tyler Guyton at right tackle, transfer guy Walter Rouse at, uh, at left guard, and Savion Bird at left tackle. I, I think that's probably what you're looking at. But what I want to see is I want to see those guys dominate. I want to see I want to see that nastiness that they used to have. You know, Bill Beatenbow is is still, in my opinion, the best offensive line coach in the game. But there for a while, he had a stretch of guys that just played nasty. Creed Humphrey played nasty. Just, I mean, just would punish guys. How dare you try to rush at me? I will take you down. Do you do you remember? I mean, look, this is a group that took a certain long-haired guy from the University of Texas, and made him delete his Twitter account. Remember, he talked all this trash. They beat Kyler Murray in the regular season. They got to play the Sooners in the Big 12 Championship. And this offensive line abused that young man to the point that when it was over with, not only did he have to change careers from playing football to trying to make it in Hollywood, but he deleted his Twitter account. Because he couldn't handle the abuse that came after the abuse he took on the field. That's what I want to see. I, I want to see those guys come back and be dominant again. I need to see five guys that just play nasty. They just play nasty. And I don't know. I, I don't know which five guys it's going to be. I, I Maybe it's the five that I've just mentioned. Maybe there's somebody out there that I, I haven't mentioned and they just show up. As long as it's five guys that look good, that don't jump off sides, they, they, they are false start, they, they don't grab and get holding penalties against them. They know their assignments and they punish the guys who come at them. Man, I want to see that. that. This team needs to get back there to that mentality, that Bill Beatenbow mindset of punishing as they block. So here's what I'm watching for on Saturday. Um, and then I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you two things team wise, and I'm going to give you three names and I'd love to know your thoughts. All right. Um, we, we aren't going to do, um, we're not going to do true or false on this podcast. Save it. I've got a few that are banked up, uh, that we're going to throw out there, uh, over the weekend after the spring game, but watch the spring game, watch this OU Baylor softball series over the weekend, and then hit me up on Twitter at Sports Heartland on Twitter, at Sports Heartland on Twitter. You can hit us up on the website, heartland-sports.com, on the podcast page there for this podcast. Or you can go old-fashioned, email uh, heartland underscore sports at yahoo.com and uh, give me your true or false statements based off of what you see this weekend. I'll use those. We'll bank up. Uh, I've already got some banked, and we'll just make the, the weekend podcast all about you guys and true or false if you give us enough ammo to do that. Uh, but here we go. Here, here's five things. Five things being team-wise and people-wise to watch for. Number one, I need to see alignment on both sides of the ball. There were so many busted plays. I think back to that TCU game when people talk about, but oftentimes when I'm just in casual conversation, right? And we talk about eh, just how bad this team was in, in 2022. And I thought, you know what? I say this, a lot of that could have been fixed defensively just based on alignment, just because they weren't aligned up properly. They, they didn't do the right assignment because they were so worried about where they're supposed to be on the field. And then people are always like, well, give me an example. Give me an example of that. Well, there's, I mean, literally every game, there's an example of that. But the game that stands out to me the most, I think, would be TCU. Just busted play after busted play against TCU. I need to see defensive alignment. I, I need to see guys that are confident in where they are on the field being the right spot to be on the field. Because if, if, you're, if you're questioning, am I in the right spot on the field, 
then really you're worried about that and then you blow your assignments. You see what I'm saying? And, and it's the same thing about um, about the, the offensive side of the ball. Just minor things. Knowing where you are on the field. Am I in the right spot? Uh, here's a good example. Now, this isn't really an alignment issue as much as it is not knowing where you are on the field. But there was a play um, against, I believe it was Kansas State, right? And Oklahoma, Dylan Gabriel gets blitzed, throws a touchdown pass, and pass is caught, touchdown, flag comes down because the block appeared to be in front of the line of scrimmage. Now, it, it went, and that's a chip play that's illegal if it's in front of the line of scrimmage. But it actually happened, the pass and everything happened behind the line of scrimmage, at the block behind the line of scrimmage, um, and and it was okay, the touchdown held. That's knowing where you are on the field and knowing what you're supposed to do. I need more of that type of knowledge. I, I, I need the guys in the backfield, the running backs, um, H-backs, to know where am I supposed to block. And and when this guy goes in motion on the defense, here, here's what really caused Oklahoma's defense a lot of fits last year. You'd get lined up. You go, go back and watch film. Don't take my word for it. Go back and watch film. You get the defense lined up, and then a guy goes in motion. And there are so many times, so many times when that guy goes in motion, you can literally see Oklahoma's defenders, their heads are turning left and right going, what do I do now? That's pretty basic, pretty basic, and I need to see that just both sides of the ball. I need to see receivers get in the right spot. I need to see running backs know the right blocking assignment. I need to see Dylan Gabriel know the right read and the checkdowns. I want to see all of that. That's, that's, that's the number one thing I'm looking for from this team. The number two thing I'm looking for is ball protection. Now, Dylan Gabriel, for the most part, is pretty good at this. There's not a quarterback that's perfect. There'll never be a quarterback that plays every game who goes without throwing an interception. It just happens. Sometimes it's his fault. Sometimes it's not. A lot, of, And this is one of those things that, look, I'm old school, and uh, I believe in the old school methods, but I hate it when a quarterback throws the ball, puts it where it's supposed to be, the wide receiver tips it up in the air, and then it's intercepted. That goes as a negative mark against the quarterback when really he put the ball where it's supposed to be. All that said, Dylan Gabriel's not perfect. There is no perfect quarterback, but he's pretty efficient. But I want to see more out of him. You go, go back to the Cheez-It Bowl. We've talked about this. Gavin Salchuk's fumble, how costly that was in the Cheez-It Bowl. I want to see this team protect the ball. On the flip side of that, though, I, I want to see the defense take risk. I want to see them force turnovers. I want to see them trying to strip the ball after the tackle is secured, not before the tackle is secured. I want to see ball protection. I want to see the defense go after the ball. And then there's three specific guys that I'm looking to see what they what they look like on the field. Two of them are new. One of those guys is Jackson Arnold. I said this uh, in previous podcasts. I do not believe there is a quarterback competition for QB1. I do believe there is a quarterback competition for QB2. At what point does Jackson Arnold come into this game? At what point does General Booty come into this game? At what point does Davis Bevel come into this game? And can we read anything into who's the first guy off the bench behind Dylan Gabriel? I mean, can we do that? I don't know. But I want to see Jackson Arnold. I believe in Jackson Arnold. I think Jackson Arnold is the future for the University of Oklahoma. I don't believe he's the present. I think he can be QB2. I think. I mean, look, these are guys that couldn't take the field because of injury to Dylan Gabriel. We, we never saw General Booty. Now, we saw a lot of Davis Bevel, but we never saw General Booty. And if you can't get on the field as bad as Davis Bevel played and you can't get on the field in front of him, I, I think your job is in jeopardy when you get a, an elite quarterback like Jackson Arnold on campus. So I want to see. I, I'm not expecting perfection. Um, it's not fair to compare him to what Arch Manning did down in Texas, whether it's good or whether it's bad. It's not fair 
because these are young guys that should still be in high school. They should be going to their senior proms. But instead, they're playing college football in a spring game. But I want to see what he looks like. I want to see his poise. I want to see what kind of grasp he has of the offense. And I want to see his arm. Second guy I want to see is uh, is Jaron Koenig. I think this guy is the key. I, I said, that remember the three positions that I was confident in. The top one was linebackers. And Jaron Koenig has a lot to do with that. If Jaron Koenig goes out there and is lost, speaking of guys that, you know, alignment situations, I, I know a lot of people put a lot of stock into that Nebraska performance by Jaron Koenig. But the reality is there's a lot of times when Jaron Koenig's out of position. He's not lined up right, but he's freakishly athletic enough he was able to cover that up. Imagine what he can do if he actually starts from the right spot. Imagine what he can do if he actually takes the proper angles. Imagine what he can do if he's confident in where he is on the field. I want to see Jaron Koenig. I want to see what he looks like because I believe he's going to be a starting linebacker for the University of Oklahoma. And I want to see how he handles that. And then last but not least, mostly just because of the whole recruiting drama and that saga that brought him to Norman, you got to look at Peyton Bowen, right? I mean, you got to be able to check him out and see if he is the part. A lot of people think he's an immediate uh, contributing type of guy at the University of Oklahoma. Maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. The reality is at this point on, on April 20th, we don't know. But what we do know is we'll get a chance to see him on Saturday and kind of make a, a gauge based off of that. So there it is. There, there's the three areas of concern for me. Uh, not concerned, I guess, three areas where I just need to boost my confidence in. And then there's five things to watch for on Saturday. Feel free to hit us up with yours. We'd love to know what you're looking for, what you're confident in, what you're least confident in. Uh, again, you can find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland on Twitter. Hit us up, uh, heartland-sports.com on the internet. Uh, we'd love to chat with you. Send us your true or false statements. We'll get to those and we'll make a weekend podcast uh, just out of those. Have a great weekend. Don't forget, I know I know it's I know it's spring football, but don't forget that Oklahoma-Baylor softball series, pretty big for the Sooners. They come out of that with a win, better yet, even a sweep. They're pretty much in position to coast to the Big 12 regular season championship. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. Boomer Sooner. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out, yeah, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who goes along with you. If I get drunk, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who gets drunk next to you. If I haver, yeah, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who's havering to you. But I would walk 500 miles and I would walk 500 more to be the man who walked a thousand miles to fall down at your door. When I'm walking, yes, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who's working hard for you. I'm gonna dream about the time